Hello and welcome to CX Today. My name is Charlie and today I'm delighted to be joined by four excellent analysts to discuss the latest news from across the customer experience space. Yes, today I am joined by Dave Michaels, lead analyst at TalkingPoints.com, uh, Liz Miller, VP and principal analyst at Constellation Research, Rebecca Wetterman, uh, principal at Valois, and last but certainly not least is Michael Forsett, a founder, CEO and chief analyst at Arian Research. Uh, thank you all for joining me and um, I thought I'd start maybe this conversation uh, by discussing Zoom's new uh, virtual assistant, uh, Claude. Uh, interestingly, Claude is uh, Anthropic's competitor to ChatGPT, um, which Zoom will soon deploy across its portfolio, uh, starting with the um, Zoom contact center. For me, this is interesting because it's someone in the space not using ChatGPT. Uh, but I was wondering if any, anyone had any kind of more thoughts um, on this piece of news. So I, I think that what's happening here is that w what we've learned from OpenAI and everything that's happened with ChatGPT and everyone kind of coming out with the announcements of who they're partnering with and what they're using and who they've connected with is you need a lot of visibility in the um you need a lot of visibility into what is happening with the models, right? You need a lot of visibility with what's going in to the recipe. I think the interesting thing with Zoom is the inference here is that they've got a very large corpus of data by which they've been able to train their own language model. I think that in and of itself is very interesting because whose voice and whose language is that, right? So I, I think there are a lot of questions that come up, I, but I think there are a lot of questions that we're all asking about generative AI right now that I think are really important for where all of these types of solutions are going to go. I think the interesting thing with Zoom's introduction is that it will probably bring up more immediate questions than a whole lot of answers, because I think that now that we have been trained to ask whose data is it anyway? And what are those guardrails? And what exactly do you mean by guardrails? I think that they're uh, going to have a lot more questions. So I think the what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks is, do they have the right answers? So there are a couple of things that are interesting to me about the Zoom thing. Um, first is a sort of composable plug and play model. You know, recognizing moving forward that companies are not going to just have one model. They're probably going to have multiple models. And the fact that this area is evolving so rapidly means folks are going to be experimenting in different ways. We just did a study where we found that more than 50% of workers have experimented with generative AI today. So this is really something that's evolving very rapidly, a lot of adoption. I think the other thing that's interesting we think about the constitutional AI piece is not just the guardrails that are being put in place, which are really important as we think about bias and things like that, but also the idea of data models. Maybe the internet isn't the best place to train your model, and it's going to be a combination of large data sets, smaller private ones, specific use cases, industry data models, all those sorts of things where being very clear about what the parameters are and where that data lives and how it's to be used are going to be an important part of training and making the most effective models possible. I think that's uh, lots of really good stuff there. I think, as you said, the Zoom's agnostic uh, approach may be an interesting one to follow. It's not kind of committing fully to GPT and maybe it can, you know, innovate in different ways by connecting various models uh, and within its portfolio and bring kind of new innovation to life. Um, but I think maybe now is best to move on uh, to uh, Twilio. Um, and uh, they recorded uh, a trailing 12-month net loss 
um, it, uh, over the past, um, yeah, so in the past year, uh, for 1.38 billion as per uh, earnings figures uh, reported by The Motley Fool. Um, an analyst writing for the publication stated Twilio's business model is, uh, simply isn't efficient. I'm just wondering if you all maybe agreed with that and what your thoughts uh, were on on the news. Um, no, I, so I, you know, I think with Twilio, it, it, I don't know about efficiency in their model, but I think um, I think there's there's some real challenges when you're trying to make the transition from a tools, you know, dev tool platform to a, a full communication platform. And if you're doing that at the same time, you've got all this recession talk and companies are slow rolling some decisions and, you know, that's a big project. Do we take it all on at once? Um, and then, and then I think, you know, to the the idea of them kind of moving their IoT business in a package out to, to core, I think, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, at least from that perspective. And I think the, the long-term play that CPAS plays is really interesting. But I just think, you know, there's some disruption and some slowdown that's happening that certainly does make them take a bit more of a, a conservative path when they're projecting the future, in my opinion, anyway. You know, I, I think that I, I totally agree with Michael. I, I would, I'd probably even take that even a step farther, right? That it, it look beyond what they were attempting to do in the communication space. They went out and bought Segment, right? And that was a huge buy. And Segment is a was a great CDP and is a great tool for a lot of organizations. But if you are trying to be something bigger, you're trying to be that platform that's attracting all that data in, you're looking to create tools that spread far beyond kind of where your communications and I would dare even say telephony routes, you know, kind of heritage is. Now, all of a sudden you want to be a marketing tool. Now, all of a sudden you want to be a sales tool. Now, all of a sudden, you know, all it, it kind of got really, really big and grand ideas. And then it felt like it stalled because it was like, oh, wait, this stuff is really hard. There's a reason why there aren't many players out there that are the Swiss army knife across the totality of customer experience. It's because that's really hard to do and to do well and to understand all of those functions well. So, you know, I think that this is hopefully a wake up call for Twilio, like focus in, double down on focusing. But the thing that I wanna see is, I dare say this out loud. I feel like this is like, I'm gonna say something naughty here. Is it time to sell segment to someone? You know, I, I, uh, I, I think, I think Jeff is uh, Jeff Lawson, the CEO and founder, is brilliant. I think he's done a fantastic job with the company, and he and he figured out pretty early that uh, CPAS, a category he defined and created, uh, is becoming commoditized. Mm -hmm. So he attempted to do a pivot uh, with with segment, and I think it was a good strategy. I think it was a good logical purchase. But unfortunately, the economic rules changed, and now is not a time to be non-profitable. Now is not a time to be doing a pivot, and he's being pummeled. I mean, it is just, it is just. Uh, I, I think I disagree. I think I think segment was a logical thing. It's just that the timing is proving to be very, very bad. But nobody, nobody in the CPAS space is doing particularly well, unless you consider, unless you call Microsoft or somebody a CPAS player, because that's the problem. Everybody's moving into that space, so so he's trying to get out of it. Um, you know, I, I, the loss is staggering. It's big, but I don't even care about the loss because he's, you know, he was he, they were losing money for five, six years. I mean, I, I, I th no, they've always been losing money. So the, the loss isn't even the factor. The, what's the factor? I think the the, the issue here is it was a surprise. 
and we expect more from Mr. Lawson. We don't expect surprises. Wall Street hates surprises. So, so he's getting he's getting and the problem is that he's been this stock has been falling, you know, consistently now for a while. It's getting pretty damn ridiculous. Um, and he's I, I don't really understand all the moves they're making. You know, they hired um, uh, Joyce, the CMO from from uh, Genesis, and I thought she was a pretty bad CMO at Genesis. It's like what? What you know, and so I think their marketing is kind of falling apart now. It's like a surprise, um, and so I don't really know if people understand what's going on with Twilio, but it's a pivot, and it's the wrong time to be doing a pivot. That, that's the story. But usually, a pivot means you're going towards a direction. Like I totally agree with you, Dave. The moves that he has done really really smart like when if we could go in a way back machine and maybe go back three or four years we'd all be like amazing but there was a clear direction there like he had a clear vision at that acquisition of segment and it was smart if that vision if they could stay on track of that vision but it was almost like the minute they bought it they were like let's keep like they just started to meander almost as soon as the acquisition closed and I think that was, it's that ability to stay the course. And if we got back to a point where Austin could focus and have that vision and be that brilliant CEO that was leading in a really directed and focused way, you'd see that brilliance again, right? And again, you're right. Losses be damned if there's a vision. I just don't get the yeah. vision anymore. I was going to say, I sort of feel like that there's a bit of uh, of uh, noise coming from the traditional customer versus the new customer too, right? You've got kind of paying the bills with all the older API dev stuff and you move kind of across these different offerings and none of them have particularly caught on yet. I mean, Segment's done well, I guess, but but in general is not, it's, it's just so muddy between traditional developer and new you know, line of business customer and which direction are you going? And I don't know, it just seems a bit muddled to me. And I think that has a tendency to leave your people wandering around sometimes and trying to figure out what direction you want them to go. I think what's also interesting is, you know, when they first acquired segment, a lot of the marketing was around, you need more to do more with your first party data because uh, Google Chrome is going to stop, is going to stop uh, using cookies in 2023. And then that got pushed back to uh, indefinitely. So I think that might have hurt it a bit. But I also think it's interesting. Um, obviously, Dave, um, sorry, Michael, you said they've got rid of uh, their IoT firm. They also got rid of um, Zipwhip, I think yeah. about a little more than 12 months after they bought it for 850 million. Um, and then there's the point in, I guess, in Liz, what you were saying as well, in terms of they didn't really put enough eggs in the basket. They brought out their CCAS platform at the same time. AWS bought out uh, Amazon Connect as developer-friendly solutions, and look how much Connect has kind of evolved compared to Flex. There's lots of interesting strands to that one, but hopefully Twilio can uh, can get that direction that you will hope they will find and um, build uh, build back. Um, more depressing news, I'm afraid. <laughs> Bad theme that I have in these uh, in these uh, calls, and that is uh, life size uh, going into bankruptcy. Um, it seems that Engie House are about to sweep up their assets, so some maybe there's some uh, finally some consolidation in this space. Um, Life size have bl sort of blamed uh, passed the blame on their kind of lasting impact of the pandemic, hurting their a lot of their um, video conferencing business. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts uh, on this news, Nate. Well, quite simply, it's just you know too many companies and too little growth. Yeah. That's actually not accurate. There's plenty of growth, but it's but it's all at Microsoft, and um, and so. And so Microsoft's basically sucking the air out of the out of the ecosystem, 
Um, and companies like LifeSize don't stand a chance. It's, and so I don't know if you can call it consolidation or not. I mean, Inghouse doesn't do much with these tech, with these products, but uh, hopefully Inghouse will do something with it. The LifeSize made a big gamble when they got into CCAS. They bought Saranova. I don't think that ever caught hold. I think Saranova still has a better name than, than LifeSize and CCAS. They try to they try to change the name, but um, LifeSize has always been video, and Saranova was always CCAS, and it, it just just didn't implement that very well. But yeah, just too many companies chasing too little growth. I think it'll be interesting because I think part of that news also included kind of that focus on and understanding that existing customers would have a bit of that panic of like what to do. And so as the consolidation happens under chapter 11, I think they took out, was it, it was several million, um, I want to say in kind of funding five, as Michael's pointing out, uh, five million in funding there to, to make sure that there, there was stability as it was going through. So I'm not sure this is like a, um, hey, we're liquidating everything and we're going to be gone. Like this is not a bed, bath and beyond fire sale. Because right. I think there was some pretty smart thinking of let's get some funding in here to make sure that through this process, there's stability. So that through the kind of the legal portion of bringing all this together is going to happen. But to Dave's point, I mean, I think the, I think the focus really needs to be on Ankhouse and what they plan on doing with now a very kind of staggered fits and starts Kind of portfolio, if you can now call it, like what's going to happen when all of that comes together? And how's that going to impact the customer? So it's great that life size is creating stability for their customer. I think now for Anghouse, the, the question is going to be, are you going to, what are you going to put your first, your assets first or their customers first? And that's going to be the big challenge. Mm-hmm. I think Anghouse has done a fantastic job in the past of, uh, of acquiring these distressed companies. They just, you know they acquire they acquire them for a little cost and they maintain them and and you know but they don't really do much to them. And right. in video, the last one was I don't know video probably four or five years ago. Uh, as far as I as far as I know, the video is still alive and well, and they're still selling the product. But it's, I don't think there's not much new to video. I don't think they put it into other products, and and so I suspect it's just going to be you know life size is here if you want it. Customers can continue to use it. Um, so it's. It's a reasonable ending to a to a story. Life size is actually a great story. I mean, I mean, Craig Malloy is you know he had two two passes as CEO of that company, and and the timing was right. They made fantastic hardware. Uh, they, they were doing a lot of great stuff, but uh, uh, you know ran out, ran out of runway. I think you know in in the contact center market, we've seen such dramatic change in the past few years, right? You're looking at moving to the cloud model, moving to looking at generative AI looking at a whole different buying process, deployment process, upgrade process. It's not a time for any company to sort of sit on acquired IP or acquired knowledge base. And I think it takes a different kind of leadership too to drive these kind of companies right now when you're not just changing growth numbers, but looking at how do I live deliver capabilities in a way that the contact center can digest and get value from, and how do I continue to, to innovate? in a way that's going to deliver more value for customers. I mean, it's a crowded space too. And, and obviously pandemic and, you know, remote, are we remote? Are we going back to the office? Where do we work? What are we doing? I mean, all those kind of things make this more complicated for, for all those vendors, I think, in the, in the back end, what is it really going to look like and what do you want? It's a little hard if I'm a company to invest in, you know, making large changes right now, 
um, because I'm I'm not 100 percent sure what the world's going to look like in 12 months. So I don't know. Yeah, but you're, you're both talking about innovation and investment and product development. That's not in-house. Uh, in-house is going to make it available and support it for quite some time and they'll, they'll make plenty of money at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Not everybody wants to jump on generative AI, and there's a lot of question marks. And so a lot of companies are, are making uh, bets that may or may not pay off. And so um, LifeSize wasn't in that position to do that. Inghouse is. Uh, it'll, you know, it's a perfectly good place. I'm sure a lot of customers will m- be much happier with Inghouse owning it than having it shut down. So, um, Yeah, well, more stability anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's um, I think, yeah, I've covered that subject for us. Does, it's a bit, you know, seeing life size go down, we've seen all the trouble at Avaya too. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned the Twilio news. It's, it seems to be difficult times uh, out there in the CCAS space. And then Nice CEO recently came along and he said there's a lot of companies around us that are struggling, although Nice posted <laughs> good earnings results um, themselves. So it's kind of counterintuitive. But it's a very interesting space to watch and hopefully we won't see many uh, more of these stories. But now maybe on to some lighter news, hopefully, uh, and just some... Uh, um, a new breaking story that's come to light in uh, the past uh, days. And that is um, that an investor has uh, invested in both uh, Ring Central and uh, 8x8. Um, I don't know, Dave, you seem to be quite up speed on this. Do you kind of want to give us a quick overview of the situation? Oh, I don't know if I'm any more up to speed than anybody else. It's just a few articles that have been uh, written on this. But, you know, whatever it takes, these companies are so undervalued. Uh, you know, the companies are trading at a fraction of the value they were trading at during the pandemic. And so you can say that was too high during the pandemic and, and now it's too low afterwards. Where's the right value? I don't know. But it's so low, it's ridiculous right now. And and so rumors of acquisition, sure, if that makes it go up, that makes it go up. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, you got to remember, Ring Central just re- uh, most of these companies in our space that are, have low valuations, they're still re- reporting double-digit growth, and so they're, they're 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 doing fine, you know. And they're just you know whatever it's worth is will it'll average out. And so these guys see an opportunity; they they see an opportunity possibly to consolidate and ring an eight. There's some merit to that. I would say there's a lot of overlap, but yeah, ring could use its own contact center. I could I could see some benefits, but. Uh, it all depends on what kind of price you get them at, and and you know the shareholders are willing to uh, to bet on the new owners or not. So uh, whatever it takes, if the stock goes up, more power to them. I think the thing to remember in this announcement is that it's that this investment group is notoriously and even self-styled as an activist investor group, yeah. right? And so typically what they have gone in and done in a lot of their previous acquisitions and, and especially with um, Daniel Gibson, Gibson, I think is the, mm-hmm. is the, the person at the helm of that fund um, is, you know, they're looking for not only efficiencies, but they're looking for scale. They're going to be wanting to understand great. There's double digit growth, but are we going to maintain that over, you know, the next eight quarters? So I think they're going to be a lot of hard questions being asked of each individual group. And I think that those are questions that um, if I'm being super honest and maybe a little persnickety, um, I'm going to I'm gonna just be a little grouchy for a second. I think that a lot of times, a lot of organizations in this lovely space that we cover tend to be a little bit on the navel gazing side. 
where or we we just tend to look at what's happening within kind of the very insular nation areas of CCAS or UCAS or CPAS. And, and so we just kind of look at what our immediate competitors and neighbors are doing. But I think what an activist investor is going to come in and do is be like, hey, wake up, like things are happening outside of this space. What are you guys doing? And so if that question is, what are you guys doing and can you do it together? Would it be better to do it together? It feels like that's more of the direction that an activist investor is going to take these conversations as opposed to, ah, you know, hey, why don't we just bind these two stocks together? You know, it's going to be about how do we make this jump like threefold, fourfold by asking really hard questions. And you know what? I'll be honest. I think that our little corner of the world in this space, it needs really hard questions from people from the outside. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what shakes out with the shakeup. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, you've seen a, a, a several runs of activist invest, investors having big impact on different leaders in this space for whatever reasons. I, I, the only thing that makes me nervous sometimes when you see this happen is do they have the expertise and will they admit that they don't if they don't to actually put this together and make it make sense? That's the one risk that always kind of jumps out at me is you take some random business person who's really smart, they may be able to figure it out just fine. But then again, if they don't know anything about the space or the market, I, I don't know, just, uh, it's uh, it's it's yeah. troubling, I guess is the way to say that. Well, well, Ring's got pretty solid execution behind them. It'd be pretty hard to criticize Ring for uh, having bad. I think I think uh, the mistake at eight by eight really was letting Vic Verma leave. He wasn't the founder, but he may as well. He he gets founder credit. He's, he was there long enough. Uh, they brought him. They, they they pushed him out. They brought in Sipes. They didn't give Sipes very much time. Pushed him right out. Now they have an interim CEO. I don't even know why you put, I've ever put the word interim on a CEO. It's just kind of, uh, what's the point of that? Uh, and so uh, so they've got an interim CEO right now. But I would love them to bring Vic Verma back. Uh, if, if they don't bring Vic Verma back or if they don't take the interim title off of uh, Samuel, then then I think they, they uh, then 8x8 would probably be better. Um, but... Uh, uh, eight by eight is fierce. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, ring ring is fierce, and these guys are execution machines, uh, and they've done a lot of really really good decisions, and they're still being run by a founder. Um, Vlad is Vlad's been there from day one, so um, good track record there. Yeah, to, to to Michael's point about activist investors, you know, any of these moves have got to be more than just a numbers game. Right. This is going to be have to be somebody who has the team and the vision to be able to put these pieces together in a different way than maybe we've thought about. And also think about what is the greater value that it delivers, not just on the spreadsheet or on the stock price, but in terms of overall customer value. And customers need a lot of help stitching these different pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a very, going to be a very interesting situation um, to watch as it goes forward. Obviously, there were rumors last November of a possible merger. And um, as you say, there's, there are perhaps opportunities. I know Ring Central doesn't have its own CCAS solution. It works with NICE quite closely. But then again, it might upset certain customers if it moves away. So there's lots of, uh, there's lots of nuances uh, in, the, in there to think about. But I think maybe that's a, a great place to end today's chat. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining me uh, today. Um, and yeah, thank you for everybody for watching as well. Bye for now.